Alex, can you tell us where you were in your life before American History X, before the audition, and what you went through to book this role as Mitch McCormick? Um, okay. Well, first of all, um, I was uh, broke. I, I had no, 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 no money, no driver's license. I was uh, living in Mid Wilshire. I was in a very bad spot. Uh, I had been acting now about five or s five years at this point, five or six years. Um, I had not had any auditions for film yet. I had only gone to do things in like the theater, things through the drama log, backstage West, and whatnot. Subsequently, my friend, my very best friend in the world at that time, uh, was an actor who's become rather, you know, prominently known. His, his name is uh, Thomas Jane. Uh, we were very, very close. He uh, auditioned. Uh, wait, I got into the audition now. Is that, is that, uh, is, okay, now, okay, all right. He, again, this is a little bit uh, new for me, so, yeah. No, so he, 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 he told me, you know, I, I met this, uh, I auditioned for this movie about an, uh, an angry skinhead or whatever, and there was this British director, and he was very eccentric, and he was in the room, and he didn't seem to respond to my audition. He was referring to, uh, the, the, you know, the director, uh, Tony Kay, who directed American History X. He said, I think this director would like you. I don't know why. He just, he got that sense that somehow Tony Kay was going to connect with me somehow or respond to me, I guess, or my, my, my acting or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So that's what life was like then. It was okay. To answer your question in short, life was very difficult. Uh, Broke, no car, no driver's license, no job, and trying to get auditions. It was it was pretty tough. Yeah. So you take Tom's advice. You walk in that door for the audition. No, what happened is is Tom said hey, there this this he's in trying to figure out. At that time, they had not confirmed that Edward Norton was you know playing the lead part in the movie, and he was doing these cattle calls if. That, I guess apparently if that did not happen or what direction they were going with the lead role, I don't know what, they had not figured that out yet apparently. So he said they're going to do a cattle call. They're going to be doing these cattle calls between New York and Los Angeles and he was doing one there and then doing one here and it was on this day and I got the information. And um, he told me where it was going to be and he said, you know, I happen to have the script because, you know, I auditioned. And I said, well, and he said, I'll drop it off at your house. So I, the following morning, he came in the middle of the night. I was sleeping. I lived on the first floor. He put it in between my window and left it on my TV, the top of my TV set. And I woke up in the morning and I, I went and I started making my coffee or whatever. And I look and there is a script on the, uh, the, the top of my television set. And it was just a weird moment where I went, I didn't know what that was and why it was there. It was some kind of like Lord of the Rings moment or something really weird. Like I'm really like, it was surreal because where I was in my life at that time and what that script wound up meaning for the totality of my life was insurmountable. I mean, because essentially what ended up transpiring from reading that story to the audition to then the relationship that I had with Tony Kay for five well, for many years, no, for multiple years working and since then just 
keeping in touch here and there, but our, we have had a relationship that has gone for years as a result of that. I just covered a lot of ground there really fast. Okay. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I'm okay. picturing this, this scene yes. in this apartment. Do you want me to keep going with that? Please, yeah. I want to know Yeah, how, how it all went down. I actually, you know, I had said earlier I did not have a job at the time. I actually had a job answering phones. Uh, that was like I got a job way out in like Santa Monica somewhere where I had to get up and take the bus at 5 o'clock in the morning for minimum wage to answer the phone for this uh, uh, Farsi-speaking computer company. And I was the only American speaker, but they were wonderful people and they were very religious and they were, they were amazing uh, people. And this was, a, you know, you have to understand, being 20, 24 at the time with no money, absolutely broke. Uh, I, you know, every dollar I made at the this silly little job was going to every amount of living expense I had, so there was no spare. It was just a difficult time needing friends to help me out and whatnot. So, when this audition came up, I thought this is unbelievable because... For, so first of all, let me get back to the story though for a second of reading that script. My, I had had a very uh, long, difficult, complicated you know, childhood in and out of the juvenile hall systems and all this kind of stuff. My brother's name is Daniel, Danny. The, when I opened the script, and I had gone through a very similar cathartic emotional experience in my life dramatic in nature, very much similar to the dramatic nature of the spiritual shift in the character in the story. So when I read the script, it was overwhelming the emotion that came over me that was not only what was going on in my life personally at the time, but also the fact that my brother and I mended a lot of stuff after I became a, moved here and found a new way to live, right? So it was a, it was a powerful experience. So I could not wait for the opportunity to express whatever, you know, these feelings were at this audition. So I had no idea what the audition was going to be. So I asked the Iranian, uh, the Iranian family that ran the company if they would allow me to leave work because I explained to them, you know, and I sat and I talked to the man. He's a very religious man, so you can imagine this was a, a like, you know, with a very long you know, with the beard and the whole thing. And I went into his office and said, sir, you know, if I could go out, do this thing, it's, I'm an actor, I've been trying to do this. He got the woman that worked there to give me a ride. He permitted me and drove me there. When I get there, there's a line going, it's a, it's a building on Wilshire Boulevard near San Vicente in that area, uh, over there where there's a pavilions right nearby. And it was on the, it was, I believe on the third floor. There's a line going out the door and everyone is getting a number and when you walk into the building you're greeted by the casting director that says okay listen this is directors you know he's a little bit you know uh does things a little differently he's got a camera set up up there he's gonna you're gonna when your number's called you're gonna walk in front of the camera and you're going to um you're gonna do whatever you know whatever you do you <laughs> know whatever i guess whatever you're you know gonna show tony or whatever so now I knew this was going to be improvisational in nature, and I had already read the script. So I knew one key pivotal point in the story, that is that there was this scene that the lead character does uh, to the news cameras when he discovers that his father's been killed. His father was a firefighter and his father died, so the media is reporting him and he has this huge emotional outburst. 
and he's you know he's, and he's right into the camera and he's pointing into the camera and I knew that was in the material so what was happening inside of the audition room was Tony was calling people up and he would say how do you feel about white power go and the actor would start talking you know I this that the other and cut next and it was going literally like a firing squad like that one and of course you can imagine sitting there aware that you're about to go up there there's the room is full everybody's watching everybody's audition so you can understand there's a hundred people in the room and everybody's watching you get just wiped out and I said you know I was had everything nothing to lose I figured you know anyway he called me up I looked at him I saw him when he walked in the room and I thought that's about what I thought a director looked like real tall scary bald and intimidating presence very interesting this man walked into the room and I thought that's that's a director I go up and you know, I came from a school and a man that taught acting that was very, very, very intense. And he, you know, he pushed it to the limit. And it was about risk and you put it all and sort of leave it all on the field, so to speak, right? And the idea was that you have to commit all the way. All the way. No, no hesitation. Make your choice and you go. Launch. No fear, you face whatever fear is there and you spring anyway and take it all the way as far as you can within your choices. So when it was my turn to be called up, I thought, I don't know what's about to happen here, but my heart was pounding very, very fast and I don't know what question he was going to ask me. Uh, I had had an experience the day prior where I was sitting on the bus and... Uh, a young, uh, a young, a mother and her son were, he was like two and a half and she was, I would say, abusing him, hitting him. And I had witnessed the whole thing and he fell and he was crying and he was in need and she wasn't really helping him. And then the bus came up and I was about to say something and I didn't. And I wanted to say, and I had all of these feelings about that, right? So I plugged into that, that feeling from that experience and I said I'm going to vent the anger rage whatever if if need be I'll use that in this in this audition so Tony walks up and he doesn't look at me he gets behind the camera and he 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 he, he, he he's looking at changing the film thing or something and my heart was beating and I was so nervous and I I couldn't and I, I just looked at him and I, and I said uh how you doing, man? And he, I go, and and he looks up and he goes, fine or whatever, and he kind of looks down and I go, because I, I, I was at this point kind of, my nerves were overwhelming me. So I just said, and I don't know what, this just kind of flew out of my mouth. I just, in a real intense sort of way, I, I said, um, do you have something that you need to ask me? You got, and I knew that got his sort of attention there because he, he looked up from the camera with a real intense look on his face and he got real excited and he goes, how do you feel about white power? 
and got all excited. And then I, I just, I guess I used all that and I just, you know, I did the audition or whatever and I just went for it and just, uh, I guess, I guess it went very well because, uh, you know, I mean, it, subsequently everything that happened after that uh, changed my life because I went on to work with him from that point forward. I was cast in the movie. Well, I should tell you the whole story, right? The whole, the whole, the whole progression of it, right? So I'm assuming you booked the role right there, Alex? No, okay. no, no, no. What happened was he was very, you know, I got very intense. The audition was going very well in the sense that I connected that, that emotion to that anger I had to that mother and the rage, having my own issues with some of that stuff as a child and putting that all in that moment. Um, I just used that to talk to and imagine that I was talking to the media reporter that was asking me about the dead father in the script. So I took the opportunity to make Tony talking to me being a news reporter as if I'm doing now the audition here into the camera because I was talking to the cameraman that my father and, and I was just using that sort of to express the rage that this movement of neo-Nazism or whatever is coming and we're justified and all this ignorance that I was, you know, having to portray. Uh, and that's how I did that. And then um, when he just kept filming it and it didn't stop, I, I just had to keep going. I didn't even, I, I, at some point I was, I was like, is he, when is this going to stop? Is I have to keep, you know, generating this uh, improvisation. So it was just like, I, and then he just, and I said, he, he stumbled because he was holding the tripod. And then they're getting, a, you know, he said, no, no, keep going, get in the light, get in the light. Because I stopped, I said, do you need me to say, no, 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 get in the light, get in the light. And I just kept going and going. And then he said, great, I got it. And I said, great. And I walked away and he said, hey, I, he said, thank you. And that was, I looked at him and I said, you're welcome. And I floated out of there. And I, I did, at that point, I didn't care that I had gotten the, the part uh, or not. I, I knew I did something. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? You affected it, him? Yeah, no, I know. I knew I did something of which I could be proud. And that is vitally important, especially having ongoing understanding of how to be an actor in this business. You have to understand the difference between obtaining the success, whether you book the part and what you actually can be proud of what you did in the room are actually two different things. The results will come out of for many circumstances that are way out of our hands. But that one thing that you can do, which is a performance to be proud of or an audition to be proud of, I felt that happened. And it was a pretty neat feeling. Did you take the bus back to work or did the people come? No, I took the bus back home, mm -hmm. uh, just really floating. I didn't even get on the bus right away. I walked to the pavilions and I just sat down. Because you have to understand, at this point, life was beating me, right? I mean, I, I, I lived in this cubicle, tiny 300 square foot apartment. Um, I was just got a hold of that little job. I was just, I, I, it was just life was very, very challenging at this particular point. You have all of the insecurities. You know, my friends had started to work, which I was very happy about. But you start feeling those feelings of insecurity of what, you know, what, what's going to happen here? Where does this go? 
And yeah, so it was a very cathartic, it was an unbelievable moment. And then uh, you had to fill out your name card in this whole thing. And I, I forgot to write my phone number. So I left the audition and I thought, well, that's too bad. I, a week went by and I, I didn't hear anything. And I knew something happened in there. And uh, so anyway, I had left my, my, my information. Three weeks has gone by now. And I've heard nothing. And now at this point, I let it go. But that still, that sense that I did something well still remained with me. So I wasn't like disappointed or anything because I had no real expectations. Uh, then I get a phone call from Thomas Jane, and he wakes away, wakes me up, and he and he says, uh, hey, "Hey, man, where, where, uh, what are you, what, what, what the hell are you doing? What, what, what are you doing?" I said, "What, what are you talking about?" He said, what do you mean, what am I talking about? He's, they're calling, they're trying to find you. You didn't put your phone number on the audition card, you idiot. He said, they have been, they've been trying to get a hold of you. The director really liked your audition and he wants to bring you in to read for, for the role, the lead role. At that time, I guess they had not officially signed Edward Norton or a name actor. So I guess that was still in play for a moment there. So it was an unbelievable moment, that phone call. And then like, I'm, you got to get a script uh, you're going in next week. You're going in, the director's in New York. He's going to come in, you're going in to read. And it was just crazy because I had never really auditioned for anything. I mean, it had to do with the movie. I just at that point, just done all plays. So I didn't know what that meant. So I got, anyway, I got, I got this and I just worked on it day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. And, um, when I went in, I, I went in. Um, it was it was that same scene with the firemen that uh, talking to the news reporters, and uh, it was an extremely. I, 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 I got there, and when I went in to read, I took a breath, and and again, I I, I was there. I was in the right right you know place emotionally, and it was uh, the audition was uh, fantastic. Went well. Uh, it was you know I. I was very emotional, and uh, then then the Edward Norton subsequently signs on to the movie. But they I, they call now Tom's manager, who's not yet my manager, but who then became my manager after that audition, uh, because uh, you know success has more fathers, and. Failure has none, right? So when you start succeeding, suddenly you start acquiring here. That's another thing you must prepare yourself for to... Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But keep yourself... Keep yourself in line here. And keep yourself and your craft close to your heart. And don't weigh your value upon the like, whether others uh, approve of... You must be proud of who you are and your work to survive in this business, I believe, in the long term. Anyway, moving forward. So you booked the role that second No, time? so I did the audition, then then they said, hey, uh, Edward, sign on to the movie. Edward Norton, sign on to this movie. The I, had, I wasn't in SAG yet. I had done nothing, nothing, no credits, zero. So this was all, for me, uh, like a dream or something, you understand? It was like I was like, well, me even being in this process at this point for me was unbelievable. 
like a dream was coming true, you know, from nothing, literally nothing. Now I can't even get on a bus on time to now I'm in a studio auditioning for a role. It was overwhelmingly amazing feeling. And yeah, so uh, I did that. And then they said they really, really uh, responded. She signed me as a client. So she orchestrated then the next callback, which they said they're bringing you back in. So actually now I had someone to talk to about acting. It was really bizarre. I went from nothing to now I have like a manager and like, whoa, this is really weird, right? It was really weird. Um, so then I went, then I went two weeks later, I, I went to, I, to Stacy Keach's part. I had to audition, they were auditioning me for that. I walk in the room and this was definitively for my whole entire career uh, will be the defining most joyous moment that I have ever experienced in my whole artistic life was that moment when I went to the final callback to do the scene that Stacy Keach does with Edward Norton in the uh, um, at his house there after Edward Norton's come out of prison or whatever in the movie. No, so I was um, being such a intense young actor that acting was everything. I uh, was so prepared and so involved in that final callback because I knew that I was very, very close to being having my first opportunity to be a professional actor, if you will. You know, that this was an opportunity and it was close. And I had so, as an intense actor, and I was so nervous that when they called my name, I had on a trench coat, I, I was dressed like the character, I had my combat boots on, my green skinhead trench coat, you know, my wife beater, I was working out every single day, and... I couldn't handle the idea of walking in the room and talking because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. I wasn't going to be able to walk in there and just start chit-chatting and then get into it. I was too, too there, if you will. So what ends up happening is I storm in the room. Now, looking back in hindsight, it was a bit theatrical and I don't even know how they process it really, but I... I storm, I walk in the room and I declare, and, and I start taking off my trench coat and I look to the casting director and I said, who am I reading with? Tell me who I'm reading with. Come on, I, I want you to tell me right now who I'm reading, who, who am I reading with? And my hand is shaking a little like that. And, and she immediately gets very serious and says, you're, yeah, you're reading with him. He'll be, he'll be taping your audition. I said, okay, are you ready? You ready? Okay, you guys ready? And, and I just took over this sort of, all being driven by my terror, obviously, my, my absolute fear. But um, no, it was amazing. And, and, then, and then, yeah, and then um, they taped it. I, I put my feet up on the, on the desk and uh, began the scene. And, and then, yeah, and then it, it went really well. And when it was over, I felt like I had done what I needed to do. Like, whatever it happened, I trusted I breathed and I allowed that audition to sort of flow. And I, I, uh, I flip over my, I flip my paper like that and I said, uh, that's, that's that. 
And they said, great job, Alex. All the, all the people, 10 people, great job, great job. I said, great, great, thank you. John Morrissey, or the one of the two producers, uh, I forgot the other one's name, how terrible of me. Um, one of those two gentlemen that produced the movie, one of them said, looks to me and says, um, so Alex, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a girlfriend? And I, and I thought at that moment, because I had a very bizarre experience earlier in my journeys with a low-level B TV producer that invited me to his house for dinner and then tried to, with his other friends, and tried to make sort of a, you know, an, a, a, a not-so-subtle advance uh, for, for work. And I had to, I actually did experience that and had to turn, <laughs> turn, that, turn, turn that, you know, freak show away this so i thought in this moment when he asked me that i thought this is insane that this is happening at this level come on right like give me a and so i said so i rather defensively said um no no i said no i i don't have a girlfriend no but i do have a lot of friends thinking i was sending a message or a boundary right i don't know i i was be, keeping it all very low key i didn't know what his intent was with the question to be very honest with you but it was a little it was a little weird and I said, he said, well, no, I'm sorry. This is how it went exactly. No, he said, I, he said, do you have a girlfriend? I said, no, no, I don't have a girlfriend. And I was still, you have to understand with the character and just had done the audition. And he says, well, do you have any friends? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of friends. Uh, and my friend had actually driven me to the audition so I could focus. And he said, well, he said, why don't you go? Now you got to understand the backdrop to this. I had had five years of it had been very difficult so he looks he looks at me and he says well why don't you go call your friends tonight because we're putting you in this movie and if there is a moment in life where uh you 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 feel some kind of unbelievable good fortune or a dream come true, I guess, would be the word. Considering the the amount of uh, uphill fight it is to become an actor, right? To have that moment uh, for anyone, and I don't think that ever changes for any actor as long as they go. I think every time you get that, you got that part. There is just nothing better and more gratifying than that moment and yeah it was pretty incredible you've since retired from acting i, I can still see that you you have a passion for the craft it sounds like because i remember i talked with you a couple years ago and you had said that trying to be a working actor in this town is like tr chasing fool's gold or something to that effect and that always stayed with me I i'm probably paraphrasing no, because the idealism and the passion that you have for acting when you're young and you're starting and you're in your early 20s and it means everything to you. It's life and death. It was that way for me and my friends anyway, the people that I was coming up with and studying with. The desire to express yourself was so... and to... and the the passion for acting was born out of uh, um, something that was really pure. And 
you did it from all these, you know, sometimes for, 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 for your passions, your views, political, personal, whatever. You put it all into this, uh, this, this art, right? But as you get into the business and you start going down that path, you start to understand that this is a business and uh, to, to become a, there's many levels to success in this business. You can become the leading man, you can become the bit actor, you can become the character actor, there's many paths. What I meant by that statement that sometimes it's like chasing fool's gold is you wind up doing all of this work and love of art and the craft and, and, and to then end up doing nachos commercials, right? And that becomes your day. That's part of the reality of sometimes being a professional mainstream working actor. Not a famous one, not one that anybody's, but that you grind out your living year after year in the business. That was my reality. I made between 65 and 130,000 a year for about 16 years. That is a different story than being a guy that's on a show or books something. That's a very different narrative. It's a very different lifestyle. It's a very different anxiety that you have to live with. So you have to wake up at the start of every year at zero. There is no security. You don't have a show. You don't have a job. You don't have you on your own to go out and get your work. And that's why it's so pivotally important that you know yourself so well and are comfortable and confident uh, in who and, and what you're trying to, to do and that you nurture that. Nurture that because no one outside of that is going to give you uh, anything. You have to go out and get it and nobody's looking to hire people that when they walk in the room are being asked you know, of the people, please make me feel okay. They wanna hire the person that walks in the room and says, I'm here to make you feel okay. I do my job for you. You have to own that, you have to have that to, 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 to have a career. So it's a very tough life once you're trying to, to have a life, pay your bills, and be, be a professional actor and face the rejection every single so You get five auditions a week, you book none of them. Week after week after week, you have to learn to psychologically and emotionally adjust to that. So that, that out of that, people become desperate. People start then just uh, chasing, uh, uh, you know, obsessively uh, the, you know, the, 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 the the commercial or the 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 concept of of booking you know something where you're having to spend the day with a with a tire around your belly and flip-flops while you're you know selling vaseline commercial you know whatever it becomes that's what i meant by fool's gold some of the things we have to do i think get quite ridiculous i want to go back to something that you just said because that was really magic in that you're you're supposed to be the person that goes into that room trying to make them feel good not about it being in the reverse yeah. How long did it take you to realize that? At the end, the whole thing's over now. And I realize it now. I, I realized that after. That was my failing, my shortcoming in this business was that I asked people to take care of me as opposed to 
me taking care of them. My insecurities, my uncomfortabilities, my neuroses, my stuff is not in the professional world appropriate. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I, you learn how to mask these feelings and how to mask these things, but they see. Everybody sees. You know, you think you're, you're hiding those things, but the bottom line is, and I'll tell you, you know, amazingly, I, 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 I talked to Marlon Brando once through Tony K. I did that workshop that Marlon Brando did where there was Tony and his people walked out because one of Tony's people was asked to leave. I was in the room that day. But in that class, Marlon Brando said, you know, when you're on the set and you're, he said this, he was speaking to the students in the class. I was one of the students or whatever. He said, you can always tell on the set who's the person that's being disrupted by the person moving the lights and focusing on everything else other than focusing on the moment and the task at hand. You can always tell who that person is. So I guess what I'm trying to say is what I learned is, yes, so to, I just took 20 minutes to answer a very simple question. You asked me, when did I learn that? I learned it at the, uh, at the end of my career. So knowing that, Alex, knowing that it's about giving to the audience instead of what can the audience give to right, you, right. then why not press the reset button and try over again with that knowledge? Well, well, first of all, because, uh, um, well, well, first of all, because I've, I'm retired now. And so that's really not, you know, I've taken my pension and, uh, I guess there is a path back and, you know, I, I, I also, unfortunately in 2004, I, you know, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and, you know, I have that and I deal with that. So that really began at the end to impede a little bit also in some of my professional life. Um, so, you know, it's a confluence of things uh, happened, um, but I learned a lot leaving it all. You know what I'm saying? I learned probably more when I took a breath and walked away from it all and took a look at it from a bird's eye view. I saw things now very clearly that, um, you know, that I would do differently. Uh, and I've, I've grown a lot since I uh, left it. So why don't I reset it is, is because I, yeah, that's it. I've closed that, that, uh, Close that door. I, I guess I'm, I maybe I can do a student movie or something, or or I can go just be in a movie. But I, for money, it gets a little complicated because you know I'm on my pension. But you said earlier, um, success has many fathers, failure yeah. has none. Can tell you, can you tell me I, about that's that? not exactly how the saying goes. Okay. But I got the well, saying is something. Uh, I think the saying is uh, success has many fathers and uh, failure is an orphan. Uh, I okay. think that Kennedy said that. I believe. Okay. Uh, um, and, and how is that uh, applicable to acting? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's the whole business in, in, in a nutshell. That, that statement. You here are alone, period, until you begin to uh, book, make, work. Then everyone shows up. People begin, that's the way it is. That's just the name of the game. That's, that's, that's the reality here. You are, 
isolated until until you start to uh, uh, make it. No one is interested in you. And it's unfortunate because the way this city is developed, it's really hard to be a young actor. You're in a competitive environment constantly. Your friends are gauged on what you do or don't do. Those dynamics start getting into play. Now you have friends that start working, you don't work. They work, you start working, they don't work. There's these jealousy uh, things that start happening. So people want to come in and be a part of what you're doing once they see that there's dollar signs attached. Yeah, to but that's okay. but that's like anything. It. It's a job. It. It's a that's it. You know, I I didn't get a call when I signed with Stone Manners. I didn't get a phone call from Scott Manners until I had booked. I I went through a thing where I went on three auditions in like ten days for guest stars, and I booked all of them. Uh, and, and and then the third one, the next day, I got a call from him. That's just the way it is. Sure, yeah. sure. So yeah. what would you tell a young actor who's now at that breaking point? Let's suppose they'd struggled for a little bit, no one returned their calls, they couldn't get a, a waiting tables job with a headshot, but now all of a sudden stuff's happening for them. What type of precautions, what type of advice would you give them? Maybe their parents don't know anything about the business, so they can't really how old, advise How them. old are they? I don't Let's just say maybe they're mid-20s. And things are starting How to How long happen. have they been doing it? I mean, I'm, I'm making, yeah. literally making up this composite human being. Let's suppose okay, like you're 24. looking at yourself. Okay, what would I say? In what situation? In what? Suppose you could have been this mentor to yourself back when this was all happening. What would you tell yourself then? That part of it I was good with. The, the, no, that, um, okay. See, myself personally, the, the, my life, the, that journey, that struggle was beautiful and I didn't know it or appreciate it at that time. That process of being embroiled with yourself and life and the struggle of obtaining something, you know, I used to hear the cliche that that is, uh, you know, in books or, you, you know, you hear per se, it's all, it's the journey and whatnot. And you hear that and you think, yeah, right, you know, tell that to somebody else. But then when you do look back and you really look back at the process and what was going on at that time, that battle was amazing. And the, the growth, the personal growth, the self-revelation, the struggle, the battle with your ego, with yourself, um, if all of that uh, was 100% uh, vital and worth it, the, the struggle to keep it about the beauty and about the truth was the struggle that was worth uh, you know, fighting for. If you really are an artist that really wants to say something because you believe that's what you have to do, then I would say to you, double and triple down and put yourself into it like your life depends on it. If that's your calling, if you feel that that's your passion inside of you, then risk it all for it. All, you know, all, 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 all in with, with pride uh, and, and with joy. But don't be delusional. Check yourself and know your ego and know what you're really trying to obtain. And if you're here because you think this is going to fix you or this is going to, uh, uh, if this is all being driven by vain ambition, I don't think those people uh, uh, should stay 
on that path because I think they'll run into a, a long-term uh, a life of frustration. They'll run into a wall of nowhere. I think essentially you have, you have to love this thing. You have to love it with every bit of your being if you're going to try to, to really give it a go. And if really giving it a go means full commitment. If it is a burning desire inside of yourself that you have, uh, that you, you have the instincts and the passion to, to pursue this and, 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 and give your life to it. And it is a sacrifice. I mean, there, there, there is people, I think a lot of people think that when they see these actors that, you know, make it and that these people just come here and fly off an airplane and then suddenly they're in movies, that does happen for a very small, small group of people. That is reality. Somebody, that's going to happen too. But there, the longevity of that and the course of that, where that goes is usually it peters out very quickly and whatnot. The fact of the matter is, if you're an artist and you're an actor, you'll stay here and find a way to make this work in your life and you'll give everything to it. If that's not your calling and you're chasing the, the, the you're, you're, you, you, you're chasing somehow uh, working in, uh, in movies because you think you're gonna be famous or something like that and that's, that, that, that is your sole objective, I, that, I usually I don't see that uh, working out for anyone. No, no, no. You touched on something earlier that was beautiful and you said that you are judged by what your friends do and don't do. And that's something I really want to touch on. So let's go back to, let's say, the mid-90s, 24, whatever, and things are starting to happen for you. What would you advise another up-and-coming actor on friendships within the industry, people maybe that aren't making it and you are? and their attitudes towards you and how to handle that. Maybe you're close friends with someone or in the reverse. How is one to handle that? Because there's not really books on that anywhere. And I think it's an unspoken thing that happens. And, and, and I'd love to hear your Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you you mean, how do you deal with uh, the, when you, if you're working and, and how do you deal with the friends that are... Maybe aren't working. Well, I think there's nothing you can really, really do really but uh but maybe they stop calling well then maybe things then happen. then yeah there's again I, I, there's nothing just like in life with anything else you have to uh tell the truth right and and be yourself and i guess you can't really control what other people do and if they are you have to kind of just accept it i guess it's part of it you have to kind of learn how to see that without over personalizing it you have to really compartmentalize that stuff and just say oh i i understand that person's having that experience and it's not personal and let it go it's it's very challenging if you're in that situation but i i don't see that being over an over predominant uh you know mm -hmm. what if problem. you are the one having the experience let's say your friends are booking work and you're not and you were talking about the ego and, and everybody that comes into this business is fragile in yeah. some sense. The way I always looked at that and the way I always felt inside is I'm not going to become imprisoned by uh, jealousy and where my life should be in comparison to this. What a waste of your own life to be sitting around going, I'm going to 
be unhappy because someone else is gaining something that I would want and I'm going to spend my days and nights in my life, my one shot on this earth, feeling unhappy for them. Is that going to change the outcome of me obtaining that or not obtaining it? No. So why not be happy and just why not be celebrate their success and if your journey on this earth is supposed to go in that direction and you're doing everything right for yourself then what comes for you comes for you and you should be proud of that and accept what what that is and that's the way I try to look at it just um, I'm not in a competition with others I'm in here to do my next audition well that's that's my next job not what somebody else is doing so that's how I try to view it do you think that's a prevalent attitude? Do you think a lot of people hold that here? No, uh, no, no, I don't. I don't think that uh, my cat's wanting to jump on my leg right now, so I'm just going to do that, <laughs> and then we're going to. You know, he's purpose. You know, this cat was in a commercial with me. Oh, okay. That's how I got okay, this cat. Okay, right. Alexander, understand that you may owe one of your acting roles to the late Paul Walker. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what the exact. Uh, context of how that all played out was but as i was told that there was two they were doing this movie called the lazarus project in canada and i guess they had hired two of the smaller um parts this this part it's a, when he goes on to do the robbery uh they his brother brings a uh, an, an associate along to help them do the crime and they had casted the, the brother and the associate from Canada, and I guess apparently Paul Walker saw them on the set and felt that you know, it wasn't working or whatever, the chemistry, and they had hired locally, so they put up a new casting to bring two actors from Los Angeles, and um, so they reposted it. So yes, by virtue of him apparently saying he doesn't want those actors, I got hired uh, when they did the casting here. So you were in LA, you saw the casting notice or your agent told you about right, it. Right, right. And they flew you to Canada? Yeah. When you were on the set of the Lazarus, uh, excuse me, Alex, when you were on the set of the Lazarus Project, what did you observe working with Paul Walker? What, what did you see in him in terms of being a director? And... No, I, you mean, oh, he wasn't the director. Oh, he wasn't, okay, no, sorry. He, he was, no, he, 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 he didn't <laughs> want, he, he wanted the other, he, the director brought in the other two actors. Uh, he wanted to, to replace those actors. Gotcha. He directed that, I guess. Uh, he yes. directed that, right. <laughs> yes. What did you witness from him on the set? Like, how did he handle himself? And... I, 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 I mean, like any point Just any, like like, any like, like I mean, like, like a pro, like uh, doing his work and, you know, just doing his job. And he was very gracious and very, like, very nice and welcoming and, and very, you know, very professional. Sure, sure. So you eventually start driving a cab. You buy a cab and you start a business for yourself. And no, no, I, I never, no, I didn't buy, I rented, buy. rented. I, ra I rented a taxi from a Russian owner that owned the taxi and I paid a premium to have it every week and I drove and picked up fares and uh, had a job as a Los Angeles County certified taxi driver. And you enjoyed it? I loved it. What did you love about it? The freedom. Uh, I loved, um, what happened was I had become so wrapped up in a career for so many years that, uh, and I was so dependent on others to give me a sense of uh, self-reliance, that became an anguish for me. 
to not be able to control my own destiny every morning that I woke up became something that became intolerable for me at some point. That groveling to your agent or hoping that they call or the insecure, meaning, you know, they're going to return my call because I have a question and I need it answered and they don't because you didn't, you know, you're not on the priority list. And you have to deal with those things as everyone does, but they became very... Um, and the in inauthenticity of the business sometimes and the interrelationships of that became something that I didn't enjoy. You see, you have a lot more autonomy as an actor when you're a series regular on a show or when you're when you've you know you've made it or whatever. It's a different landscape than when you're a working actor. The two landscapes are different. So yes, I found a lot of great this new world that had refound itself to me, which was myself, my control of my own destiny. If I want to make money today, I get in a taxi and I make money. If I want to take my wife out for you know dinner and I don't want to because a residual check didn't come in the mail, I, I can do that. I don't have to wait for my agent to tell me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. I would just go do it, and I, I enjoyed that. And the freedom of driving and talking to people and the the the, the whole novelty of it. So you were still trying to book roles, though, at the same time, or? Yes, I was working th uh, through this. As a matter of fact, I started booking work like crazy, with, simultaneously with the taxi. And I think because I got some pressure relief from the, I think something to do with the fact that I knew there was something else I could do, gave me a less of an attachment to the. To, to 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 the acting right that, that that I was able to let that go enough to actually start doing better work essentially and I, I wasn't as wound up at the audition as much pressure on myself so it kind of released that pressure enough for me to start doing uh, better with my uh, with my acting so yeah I started working and driving the cab to the set and parking it proudly and wrapping from a huge set and getting in my cab and driving fares and I loved it. I was, I, I loved every bit of it. And so yeah. you think that the casting directors sensed maybe less, and I, and I don't want to call it desperation, but yes. really, but, but. No, absolutely. That, yes. Less something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that something is. That's something that people feel, even in life, when you feel someone wants something too much, just that same yeah. transference of energy, I think. It's very, very much prevalent in an audition. So, yes. Also in the way you function and, 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 and operate. Uh, you know, Suddenly the confidence of having the... I would say confidence is the word. Because suddenly having the taxi became uh, a way to be... To feel like I don't need you as much anymore. You see, I don't need this. I'm here to do this. I'm not here in need of it. I have the taxi. So I'm not interested in this anymore. And suddenly that kind of, that Murphy's Law of Life applied here, yeah. And it's something that can't be faked? No, 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 that can't be faked. No, if you, if you, you can't fake, uh, you can't fake pretending that it doesn't matter. They see that. I mean, when you pretend that this doesn't matter, I'm, you know, that's an act and that's, if it's real, it's real. If it's genuine, it's genuine, so. So you would say maybe to other actors, you know, as cliche as, as find a hobby, but or some, something, find some outlet, whether it's a family, whatever, something that you can hold on to so that you don't feel that that role is going to make or break sort of who you are? Yes, absolutely. 
I would say that when I was happiest as an actor, it was when I uh, uh, was able to, to, to work, work, work on my audition, right? And then I would have to mentally tell myself, this turns off at five o'clock in the afternoon. It's over. I don't think about this thing again. I bust my ass on this audition from seven in the morning till five. That's my time. I'm allotting that time for this work. When that five stops, I now focus mentally and emotionally on others, my life, my friends, my people. You have to do that. If you're going to mentally, you know what I'm saying? Hold on. You have to have that separation and that autonomy. It's very important. Yes. To find, to find a way to turn it off and have something else that grounds you because the uncertainty of trying to become an actor or sustaining an acting career or even once people have careers those pockets of time of not doing things you know in this business are treacherous i mean you're not in control of when you're going to do what you're going to do most of the time that's a fact so yes it's important to be to have that outlet i think yes yeah certainly alex what separates working professional actors from those waiting tables where is that point where someone crosses over? I don't know. Um, I don't know because if you can have, I drove a taxi. I, I was an okay actor. This is a, it's a very difficult question to, to, to answer because a, a person waiting tables very well could be a, a working uh, actor. I think the only difference between them is that one is working, the other one isn't. And the reason why is not definable unless because if the work the man waiting tables has no agent no opportunity no nothing that's the difference i mean opportunity is all in this business when your chance in that room presents itself you either take it or you do not and that either becomes your job or it doesn't that's the only power you have that line between action and cut or start of audition and not is the only place you have any control outside of that um there yeah it's it's i think a matter of opportunity and 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 a matter of talent and what you do and when you're given the opportunity from your bird's eye view why would you say many fail at being working actors in la from what you've observed now that you have this new vision from stepping away and less emotion being tied from what, from, from the people that I have seen that have gone on to become you know is an engrossment in what they do um, a complete uh, the people that I have seen and learned from and met in this business that have gone on to do some real substantial things one of the common threads that I have seen in all of them is in that preliminary first few years um, they went at it like their life depended on it they went after it like their life like like if they didn't they were gonna die or or they weren't gonna there's nothing else to do but to do this day and night I want this and I'm driven and I'm passionate and I love it and I get into it and that whether that means you're gonna make it or not I don't know for sure but I no, certainly noticed that that's a common thread amongst the people I have met that have become successful. Fundamentally, the most common thing you would get at the beginning before you got somebody really excited for you for whatever reason is uh, they would open the meeting like this. You know, I don't really have a place for you. 
I don't really have a place for you. This is the opening of the meeting. So you sat down. Hey, Alex, how you doing? Great. Nice to meet you. So, so you were in America? Yes. Yeah, I did this little thing. Yes, great. Oh, I love that director. Yeah, you yeah, have me too. Me too. I, he's great. Um, and fundamentally, you just really want to say, so listen, what are we doing here? What's the point of this? Do you want me? Do you not want me? I want the meeting to go like that. What do you want to do? I wanted to, I wish it was more direct, but anyway, so the opening statement would be this. Um, then we'd get through all the niceties and then I, I don't have any, I'm not going to be able to take you. And then we go on for another 40 minutes of a meeting. That's a real horrible feeling because at that point for me, I just want to say, you know what? That's cool. I respect that. That's your choice. I'd like to leave now, but you can't do that. So you have to sit there and do this ridiculousness for another half an hour as you're sitting there going, I have to talk to you after you just told me you want nothing to do with me. So yeah, so th th those were annoying things. My worst audition taught me dot, dot, dot. Nothing. No, no, I, I don't know. I, I, my worst audition taught me that it was worse than the one before. <laughs> Anything that you could glean from no. it? Like any, any life lesson? No, because they, they stink for a variety of reasons and you never know why on any given day, but... Like I said, fundamentally, they can stink a lot of the time because you get in your own head. That's the problem. When they stink, when you do it yourself, sometimes they stink because they just do. The energy's off. It's a little weird. The people are in a bad mood in the room, whatever, whatever. But sometimes they really do stink because you have problems and you get in your head and you make self-made problems that don't need to be there. So, yeah, that can be uh, troublesome. The toughest part of living in Los Angeles. the toughest part of living in Los Angeles. I think that the, one of the hardest parts of living in Los Angeles is the, uh, well, I think it's that things are very far apart, okay? And people are very far apart here. Uh, things are spread out and people are very, you know, homebound. I think the lack of community for me, the lack of uh, family and the lack of uh, that kind of, those kinds of bonds were where you have in the original places that you, we come from. LA is a city of people coming from other places. So their roots are elsewhere. So there's not a lot of roots here. The, here it's an, an amalgamation of people. So people are here to work and do things. So there's not a lot of, uh, uh, of community. If, 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 if you will. Uh, so it can be a little lonely. Uh, it can be lonely, I, I would say. Alex, when you teach actors, what lessons are you trying to drive home to them? Whether creatively, personally? Um, if I'm directing a play, I'm trying to show the person that's doing the, 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 the part, the work, that... Um, there is a there is a difference between um, you know a acting something and being a human being and experiencing something, sharing yourself. What I'm trying to say is, if you want to, from what this was for me, why I got into it, 
was the notion that I could honestly share of myself with other people. That human transaction was what it was all about, period. End of story. That, that's what it was about. So when I direct a play, I try to maximize the human experience of being a person. And what that really feels like and what that really sounds like is very different when someone's telling the truth versus I'm clever and I know how to act something. And that experience, when you have the human experience, it transcends like that's a good actor. It transcends that's a... That became you affected me personally. Do you, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so that what I would say is get real with yourself and when you and tell the truth in your work. That's what I would say. How does someone get real with themselves? Maybe they've grown up in a household of denial, or they. I don't know how. No, that's their own personal journey, or their. I don't. I wouldn't have the. The, I mean, the internal work that you have to do as an artist or whatever one does as in, to become an actor, whatever, whatever I would recommend uh, reading the, the, those common books, the, the Stanis Law, you know, the work of an artist, the journey of an artist, that's personal to every person. I don't have any format for that. That's, uh, so I would say the getting real is uh, getting real. Telling the, telling, telling, the, telling the truth through a character, meaning you're going to have to know yourself very well, I think, to be a good actor in the end. I think good actors know truthfully who they are inside because that truth allows them to play any given situation from a point of view of, of what, is the, what is the truth, right? That's more compelling than, than, act, than you know, than acting. I don't know if that answered... Uh, it does. What if they've always been taught, you know, put on a smiley face, be happy, don't show any negative moods? Well, then I would say, well, then you can't be in this business uh, because uh, this mood, this business requires moods. <laughs> this, this is a business of moods. <laughs> you can't, you can't be void of moods. Uh, you, you have to feel. So, I guess you would be in the wrong business. If Get into sales. Sell satellite dishes. <laughs> I guess. How does an actor find the truth within themselves? I don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how one finds the truth um, within themselves, really. Um, well, here it is, okay. The way I believe, the way you feel in private, and this was talked about in the Strasbourg stuff, you know, the Lee Strasberg Academy, they teach, you know, from the point of view of yourself, right? You are the character, essentially. The way you are in your private moments, uh, if you're willing to take a risk and show that in front of people. If you're willing to breathe and say, if I'm doing a scene that requires you know, you, you know, to, if I'm directing an actor and, and I, and I care, I'm passionate about directing theater. If I'm going to direct them, I would say, uh, to what, when you, whenever you were in your most private moment, what, what did that, you had a human experience. You've never shared it with me. I guess good acting is, are you willing to publicly share that in the hot, in, in disguised behind the playwright's 
intentions and his character. So the truth, I would say, is the willingness to show yourself to be what you are in the truest sense of your own privacy publicly.